You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the No Low Ballers podcast. I'm Logan Medish, your host of High Caliber History. Uh, we are sitting around the table here with the guys from Go Wild and, and Alan from Gunbroker, and we are talking about really expensive stamps. You know, I went to the store and I could not believe how much the cost of a stamp has gone up mm. recently. You know, it was, seems like just last week they were like 52 cents, and now the damn things are $200. It's insane. Can you believe that? And you can't just get it over the counter and walk out. No. I, uh, they, they told me I was going to have to wait like 10 months. They told me it might be like 90 days, but I think my wait's going to be like 10 months. for. The... Do you know how much I spent on Christmas cards last year? It was insane. Oh, my god. It was gosh. insane. Yeah. I, I Forget sending out a timely letter. Like, you know, baby announcements and stuff are going to be like way late. You're going to have to send out your wedding announcements <laughs> way in advance, and it's just going to be ridiculous. And the post office lady gave me a really weird look when I said I was there for a full auto. Oh yeah, she's like, "We, sir, we've got, like, we've got first class priority." <laughs> she started tapping some button under her desk. <laughs> but oddly like, enough, half the guys in back went, "I'm sorry, what now?" <laughs> right? Yeah, like, hmm, you know? Yeah, no. So, guys, we're 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 not stupid. Um, we, I'm well, we don't. Yeah, uh, I am on to okay. be fair. Well, so. in in this regard, <laughs> we're fair. not stupid. But uh, no, we're we're not talking about postage stamps. Of course, we're talking about NFA tax stamps for suppressors and uh interestingly uh the price of those has not gone up um so they're they're 200 they've stayed at 200 since the beginning of nfa stuff um we'll get into that uh, i believe in the next episode um but for this one we're talking kind of uh the the development of suppressors and and how they work um and and the elephant in the room we'll, we'll throw it out there silencer suppressor Use them interchangeably. 100%. Uh, can, yes. I, I will fight to the death on magazine versus clip, but silencer, suppressor, I don't care. Hiram Maxim called them a silencer. The ATF calls them a silencer. Yep. I'm fine calling them a silencer. you got to pick the hill you're going to die on. Yes. And for you, it's clip versus magazine, not silencer versus suppressor. I like it. My, my hill to die on is antique and CNR and modern because people don't understand that there are legal implications for those, but mm -hmm. that's another episode all <laughs> in and of itself. Uh, so, so silencer uh, development, you mentioned the, the granddaddy of silencer development, Hiram Percy Maxim, yes. who is Hiram Stevens Maxim's son. Uh, of course, Hiram Stevens is of machine gun fame. Um, they're keeping it all in the family with his son doing suppressors and, uh, Hiram Stevens, I think it was his brother, uh, who was Hiram Hudson, or not Hiram, he was Hudson Maxim, and he was involved with TNT and Dynamite. So it was mm. all things boom and Thanksgiving explosive. Thanksgiving was and, so much fun. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. That would have... Oh. <laughs> 
Yes, so much fun. But anyway, so so talk early suppressor development with us here. Uh, sure. I mean, at the end of the day, um, it's a muffler, just like you have on a lawnmower, on a car, on anything. And they were all being developed about the same time. So the the idea of making noisy mechanical things quieter was really a turn of the century thing. You know, the Industrial Revolution had been rolling for a couple of decades now, and it was a noisy place to live if you were in cities. So um, Hiram Piercy took a look at the you know the development coming into you know mufflers and just applied it to firearms. That said, the core technology that he developed that went into this really hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what we make them out of material-wise, how we make them robotically, um, some of the things we've done as far as modularity, certainly tolerances have all improved over the years. But um, at the end of the day, you've got a, a metal tube with a series of baffles in it that attaches to the end of a barrel. And that's probably where the biggest advancements have come is in attachment points. Because if mm-hmm. I remember right, the original just kind of slid over the barrel and they got held in place with a set screw. Yeah, right? it was Yeah, it was like a clamp-on variety. And, yeah. and they were designed for the Springfield rifles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And you could actually, it's interesting, but pre-NFA, there were there are, uh, magazine ads like, order them through your local National Guard unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because that's where all the Springfields were at, right? <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, the early advertising for this is hilarious. I, I have some friends who collect the both the old cans and the uh, the advertising and mm-hmm. you know it's you know shoot all day in your parlor if you want yep wow my my favorite one is uh an ad that came out around christmas and a guy has uh you know they still make them today the little rimfire target traps the bullet mm. traps you yep. know and there's one of those set up in front of his fireplace and he's standing <laughs> in the living room with his suppressed 22 you know and they're shooting he's like you know make the holidays fun or you know some some pithy marketing remark but i'm like man that would be awesome i want to put a target in front of my fireplace and you know shoot to my heart's content you'll notice what's missing from that ad guy's wife (laughs) that's why he's able to shoot in front of the fireplace yeah Yeah. so i mean the technology is what it is i mean um we're trying to contain the sound of a gunshot, which there's really two sound signatures on a gunshot. The, the sonic crack of supersonic bullets, which is what it is, um, but then that rapid expansion of gas. I mean, if you, if you think about there, there's two analogies I like to use. One, you know, a firearm's a big champagne bottle, and you light off the powder, the gas expands quickly, it has to go somewhere, well, that pressure pushes the bullet down the barrel. The second one's when you pop a balloon. What you're hearing when a balloon pops is not the latex letting go, it's that air expanding quickly. And that's a really low pressure. I mean, balloons are not exactly high-pressure devices. Where here, you've got a very large volume of gas expanding really quickly, and that makes that loud boom. So what suppressors do is basically take that giant gas expansion, just slows it down. It lets it expand a little bit, and then into a baffle, and then a little bit, and then into a baffle, then a little bit, um, pull some of the heat out of it. So by the time we reach the end of the, the, the muzzle at the end of the, uh, the end of the suppressor, it's coming out a lot slower, a lot cooler, and a lot quieter. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... That's probably the biggest myth on can you know like cocking your Glock when you take it out. The, the the biggest myth I hate on suppressors is this idea that you can walk through a crowded subway station with your gun under your arm and blast away and nobody will notice. Mm-hmm. Even a suppressed gunshot. I mean, you take the the quietest thing I can think of a subsonic twenty two and you're still pushing a hundred decibels. Yeah, it's not quiet. Um, it's hearing safe, and that's that's really the biggest benefit of suppressors. It's not going to make you a silent assassin, but you know it's going to keep you from having hearing aids when you're in your forties. So. What? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Too much shooting without hearing protection when yep. I was younger before I owned suppressors. So, yeah. yeah. I, I love the new emphasis on hunting mm-hmm. suppressed, uh, you know, from that sound 
perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I know a guy that builds ammo himself, and he was shooting subsonic rounds through a suppressor deer hunting, and the deer don't care other yeah. than the deer that got hit. And so if you're in a situation where you can take more than one deer, they hang out, they stay. Um, it's To me, that's a very interesting use case of keeping that sound down. Absolutely. And obviously, how many of us wear ear pro hunting? I mean, exactly. Hardly anybody yeah. does. Um, <laughs> I did once. I, I wore my electronic muffs hunting, thought it was a great idea. No, if you think that squirrel sounds loud normally, yeah. crank it up with <laughs> a set of like, yeah. yeah. Oh, like, there is Sasquatch oh, over there. Oh, dear Lord, yeah. Uh, but no, hunting with a can has a lot of benefits. Um, I was in a situation up in a stand. The deer came in, and, and it was still early, but bedded down. And I couldn't, no matter what I tried with the calls, I could not get it to stand up. So finally, we, were, we this had gone on an hour, hour and a half. We're finally starting to get into, you know, probably the last 45 minutes of the day. So I sent around over the top of it into the tree behind it. The deer heard the bullet smack the tree, got up and walked away from that sound right toward me. So the next round, of course, found its mark. But if I'd have been doing that with a regular rifle, you know, the deer would be three counties over before I got the bolt cycled. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's um, all kinds of application for deer. I mean, obviously with hog hunting or when you're when you're varmint hunting, anything that's going to have multiple target engagements, it, it comes in key. But um, you know, aside from those benefits, it they're just easier to shoot. Uh, I don't care how experienced you are, a big blast of something like a 300 Win Mag, everybody reacts to that a little bit. Um, this takes that out of the equation. You're adding a little bit of weight onto the end of the barrel, which reduces your recoil a little bit. It's just suppressed guns are easier to shoot more accurately. Well, and I think that's talking about the hunting aspects of it. We can talk about the materials that stuff are made out of. You know, there are now hunting geared cans, you know, stuff mm-hmm. that, that, you know, it's made out of lightweight titanium, you know, so they're bringing down the crazy weight. Like there's, there's rifle cans out now that I've seen, you know, they're, they're six inches long. They weigh like eight ounces, you know, and, and it'll tame your 300 wind mag. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're on a backcountry hunt, you know, the, the old adage ounces equal pounds, pounds equal pain, you know, and, and a 13 ounce suppressor, you know, that, that's certainly a lot more uh, weight, you know, that you're going to be humping around another half a pound versus a six ounce suppressor. And yep. so, yeah, it's really interesting how they've become geared towards hunting now yeah, and specific for it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, obviously the, the harvester was kind of the first one that did that from silencer. Yeah. Pill, but since then, you know, to your point, Nosler makes a 22 and a 30 cal can. They just came out with their K can, which is slightly smaller, mm-hmm. not quite as efficient, but it's a lot lighter and it's designed for those backcountry hunters. Right. Yeah. Banish has one. It's called the Banish backcountry. Mm-hmm. And then they've got another one uh, with the, the Buck Commander guys, is that? Yeah, they? Uh, yeah. Got, yeah, just so just introduced that. Yep. The, the Buck Thirty, and so like, yeah, there's a ton of hunting tie-ins for suppressors that just ten years ago, even really, oh, yeah. really wasn't wasn't there. And it's not that expensive for a rifle manufacturer just to add a threaded barrel on that. Yes. End. So so that's an easy upgrade to your um, to your hunting lineup is just throw a threaded barrel on there, and then you can put a flash hider on it. Put a suppressor on it. You could use a suppressor as a flash hider. Yep, a muzzle brake. Yeah. I mean, you're you're, break. you're getting to the point now that if you walk in and you see a rifle, especially a bolt that doesn't have a threaded barrel, you're kind of like, ooh, that's a miss. You know. You know, you're exactly right because the most recent rifle I bought, I was looking at a couple different models, and I was like, no, I'm gonna pass on that one because I know I want to use a suppressor, and I don't want to have to send it out and have mm-hmm. it threaded. You know, so. I mean, companies have made it easy. I mean, you you reference Silencer Central, and they've got one of the easiest barrel threading programs yes. I've ever seen. But, you know, if you don't have to, you don't have to. Exactly. Yeah. I'd rather just buy it off the shelf already threaded. You know? Yeah. So, you know, with materials, um, obviously in the early days, stainless. Uh, and they were very heavy. I've got an older 
stainless can. And at the time, it was like, I had a can. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> now it's like, oh, good, I need to tie up my boat. <laughs> I don't have a boat. But if I had a boat, I'd tie it up with this thing. Um, where the new ones, uh, a lot of aluminum, they've learned, you know, in the recent decades, where the cans need to be strong and where they can be light. So you see a lot of use in aluminums in the outer tube. Um, you'll see a lot of use of aluminum in some of the later blast baffles. Um, you'll still see stainless in the what we call the blast baffle, that very first one that takes the most of the heat and the abrasion and everything else. Um, the biggest development, though, is kind of followed with uh, golf clubs and other things, and that's the use of titanium. Mm-hmm. Um, t- you find titanium in uh, the blast baffles and especially some of the mounting points, super light, super strong. Um, probably the other development that we can't overlook is the way they're made. Yes. You know, the, um, they're, they're stupid simple, um, you know, at the risk of, of, of trying to tell people how to do it. I mean, it's really just a tube with a stack of baffles. Mm-hmm. So if you are a company that, that machines metal tubing, you can make a can. Um, you know, I was telling a story before we started today. Uh, we were at Chat Show a few years ago, and uh, our friends at Loophold, um, their, their machining guys, made some cans up for us to use at the Range Day event. Never made, never made them to sell, never made them for anything else. Um, but... They were really effective and really simple to make. So, um, And it's important to note that the folks at Leupold have all of the appropriate absolutely. government documentation mm-hmm. to just go in the back and have their guys turn out a few suppressors. They were comple- <laughs> yeah, completely legal, stamped, and, and marked as they should be. Um, and really, we used them because, again, shooting suppressed is just more fun. It's it just nice. It really so we, is. We wanted to dial it down, and because this was a little later of a plan, we didn't have a chance to get actual cans on hand, so we made do. Um, but also how they're made, you know, yeah. so it's not just machining out a tube and then just trying to put in the baffles that fit, which you can do, but doing precisely can be expensive. Uh, and that's really the, the efficacy of suppressors, how well those baffles fit in there, how, you know, what their tolerances are trying to control that gas as best as possible and slow it down. And that's where companies like Sig Sauer have really brought innovations in. Um, they began using robotic welds, um, I forget the exact term, uh, but basically circular welds to stack them that way. So they're able to make tubeless cans. What those are basically is a baffle stack that's welded together. And because of the materials they use in the baffles and the way they robotically weld those together, it's strong enough. So you've now removed an entire layer of metal off of it, which brings the weight down pretty significantly. Um, then you've got companies like Q that are making modular cans. And I mean, that's something that's caught on when we've got at least two There's or three right three here. Three modular, yeah, yep. three of the four sitting here. Yeah, which <laughs> or, you know, allows you to five. basically get the big can, but then dial it down if you don't need it. So, you know, here we come back into hunting. If I'm shooting on the range, especially an indoor range, I want as much volume as possible because the volume being space volume, not noise volume. Right. Because the bigger the volume of the can, the more gas it's going to contain, the quieter it should be. Where if I'm hunting or, you know, maybe an outdoor range or, you know, taking a class indoors or something, you know, like a, a, a CQB class, I want to shorten those up and make it, just make it easier too. So yeah. those are really where the developments have come. And of course the mounts, you know, we've, we've got direct threads, which are as inexpensive as it gets, but the QD and uh, quick detach um, suppressors, suppressing systems that, you know, go right back into zero alignment so you don't have to worry about shims and realigning everything. Yeah. Um, lets you move cans around between different platforms so you know it, it's not a huge expense but there is still the paperwork hassle to it so yep um you know you can buy a 30 caliber can and put it on anything from 22 to you know up to 30 cal um, yeah. my my favorite thing with the manufacturing is uh 3d printing mm-hmm. which i think you know 3d printing is cool as hell anyway you know uh but the fact that you can 3d print a suppressor just it, it 
okay, I, I understand there are production benefits and things like that, but the marketing genius of it. <laughs> and I say that because that's the only reason I purchased this can yeah. uh, is because it was the first time I'd seen a 3D printed can. And this one's from, from PWS. And well, I say the only reason I bought it was because uh, it was 3D printed, but I also bought it because of the name. Uh, and it's very tongue in cheek. They call it the, the Bravo Delta Echo, the BDE. <laughs> uh, and you can read into that as, as you see fit, but, um, uh, but it's stupid quiet and, and it is modular. You can take one, two, three, four, four of the, of the, you know, sections off of it. Um, and it's still a very quiet can. Um, and uh, yeah, they're just, the, the manufacturing has come so far for a concept mm -hmm. that hasn't changed in more than a century. Well, what I like, and you know, without dipping too much into the next episode's politics, the 3D printing cans gets us closer to where the rest of the world is in, um, you know, kind of disposable cans. You know, mm -hmm. if, you, if you look at a number of countries around the world, not only are suppressors legal, they're required. Yeah. It's just, it, I mean, if you've ever been in a range next to a seven inch barrel, you know, 308 AR, trust me, you understand why cans should be required. Um, so over there, there's something you can buy out of a vending machine for the equivalent of like five or six bucks US. They're good for a few hundred rounds. And then you just toss them in the can on the way out. Mm -hmm. You know, Glock is famous for their polymer suppressor, which is a, you know, European product that's, you know, meant to be fired a few hundred times at the range and then you're, you're done. So as 3d printing gets more effective, you know, less expensive, if we can ever do something with the NFA and the tax stamp, we're just getting closer and closer to where can should be, which you know, it's just something a polite shooter should have and use. Mm -hmm. I like it. Polite shooter. We're all polite shooters, aren't we? No. No? no. Okay. Well, if well, an armed society is a polite society, then... That's yeah. true. Yeah. I'm, like, so freaking polite, it's not <laughs> even funny. <laughs> so, do you think we will start seeing more guns, especially long guns, with integrated into the barrel suppressors, as opposed to the removable suppressors? I hope, but I don't. I don't know because that that's a big commitment right out the gate. And as Americans, we're not big on delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you can have you, you, buying the suppressor and having to wait the you know nine months to a year is tough, but you know we still have the gun to play with. Having to actually sit and wait for the gun that long, I man, I don't know. I I hope because I love them. I mean, I've always wanted the you know the Ruger ten twenty two as their inter. inter uh, integrally thank you integrally yeah. suppressed um <laughs> top end um obviously it shortens everything down that's that's always the a little bit of the knock on suppressors i have a really nice short little M, uh, mpx that now has a you know nine inch sr45 on it kind of right. negating some of that so and i think that's you mentioned the 1022 and that's the perfect example for for the integrally suppressed stuff is because while you're waiting for that thing in nfa joe you can just slap a regular barrel on that thing and you can still go shoot your 1022 sure. whereas like you know if it was uh, you know, a Remington 700 or something like that. Yeah. Like, you know, that's an entire barreled action and all this other stuff that's a heck of a lot more precise mm -hmm. than than what you're hoping to get out of your 1022, you know. Not that you can't do precision shooting with a 1022, but, right. you know, you're not wanting to swap things out. But I, I certainly hope we see more integrally suppressed stuff because so, it is so cool. So what about maintenance, cleaning, lifespan? How long can you you know, have one of these in service, baffle strikes. See, I, think, I think those are kind of related questions. Cause I think another reason people are a little hesitant to buy the integrally suppressed guns is because of that very reason there, where if you have a baffle strike with your can, you know, you take it off, you're back in the game. 
Um, and I think a little bit of it is misperception. I don't think the cans are as delicate as some people no. think they are. But I think um, as long as you follow manufacturer's recommendations, yeah. you should be able to, you know, your kids should be able to inherit those cans. I mean. Yeah. I mean, they do need cleaned, um, yeah. especially these little rimfire cans because they will lead and crud up like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um there's not really one size fits all because again, now we get back into the materials, you know, aluminum doesn't like certain chemicals. Titanium's usually pretty good. Stainless has certain things. So certainly, you know, look to your manual, but, um, typically I clean mine every couple thousand rounds and I do it in a very high tech way. I've got a can that used to hold tennis balls and I put the suppressor in there, fill it up with the appropriate solvent and give it a shake, let it sit on the bench. A couple days later, flip it over. When that's done, you know, we just brush and compress air from there and then a nice little light lube and good to go. Um, the ones that come apart are even better. Um, if your baffles will take it, ultrasonics are great for that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, certain materials and ultrasonic solutions don't get along, so please, please, please read your manuals. Yeah. I don't, don't leave me a comment that's saying you dissolved your can to get you through it in your <laughs> ultrasonic. Um, after that, you know, the, the baffle strike thing... Um, it can happen. Uh, I, I honestly have never put a can on even direct thread and had, you know, any co- coincentricity issues. I've looked at, you know, it's always been lined up good. I think, you know, modern manufacturing, certainly the robotic manufacturing is so damn good these days that unless you've got a, you know, really wonky threading on your rifle, you're probably going to be okay. Yep. Um, and even then, want, especially for the quick detaches that come off of some form of flash hider, if you shim those up nice and straight, the can's going to go. That's the beauty of them. The can's going to go on straight every time. So, And I think that's what's so great about, you know, factory threaded barrels. Like, mm-hmm. sure, there, there are places that will do a great job of threading your barrel aftermarket. But, you know, for the love of God, if your neighbor has a Dremel and he calls himself <laughs> a gunsmith, don't let him thread your barrel because, you know, if those threads are screwed then then your can is is screwed too um but yeah generally that that suppressor as long as you take care of it it'll take care of you and it it should last a very long time the number one piece of maintenance you can do to your can after it's cool or unless you got a good pair of gloves every x number of rounds reach up and just make sure it's tight Mm-hmm. that's where most problems come with cans is they get a little loose on the threads and then they start getting a little wonky. And next thing you know, it's 50 yards down range and um, you're in for a little bit of a warranty claim if you're lucky. Uh, so really that's the thing. Just make sure they're tight. You you're going to um, have a bad time. Yeah. yeah. I, I love rifle cans that have some form of a detent system, you know, either a ratchet or a clip like the Surefires do big fans mm-hmm. of those. But for pistol cans, um, we were doing a range event last year and about and running new shooters through, I would say every three shooters, I had to pull my gloves on and just torque it back down a little bit because it just would start to work its way loose. And that that's probably the biggest problem uh, maintenance-wise with a can. Just make sure it stays on. Mm-hmm. Don't use red thread lock, please. But. Oh, God, no. Don't use red thread lock and do not go after the forbidden popsicle. <laughs> Yeah, don't don't do it. It may look like an orange creamsicle, but oh, she burns like habaneros. And we just got sauce. our next meme. Yeah, <laughs> screenshot we, right we just, there. Damn it, I wasn't even thinking about that. And we were gonna Photoshop all sorts of stuff oh, in your hands. <laughs> oh man, we were doing an event with uh, a night vision thermal company, and um, uh, of course, as things go, someone's like, "Well, how hot can we make that can?" <laughs> I don't know. Let's find out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got it up to you know nine thousand or a thousand or nine hundred or a thousand degrees, and it was screaming hot. Um, but it's it's a night shoot, hence a night vision thing. So we get done. All right, that's great. Someone just sits down on the bench. But ten minutes later, it's like, what? What's what's that smell? 
Well, two, it's a smell. It's a combination of two things. One, the actual bench is starting to burn around uh -huh. it, and two, someone didn't notice that the when they set it down, the rifle sling went through there. <laughs> so that that can for the rest of our event had a very interesting texture around part of it because a, a really nice magpul sling became part Molded of it. Yes, it. yeah, it just ah. melted all around it. So um, they and get they do get hot quick. You gotta you gotta pay attention on those. So that's are you telling me that's the origin story of like a magpul suppressor cover? You, you know, you melted the sling to it and boom. I'm, I mean, that's a big benefit of having a suppressor cover. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so if folks are, you know, looking to buy suppressors, there's a million different options on the market. Nice. And, you know, obviously you can find them on Gunbroker. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we had an interesting conversation. Dan, you had you'd brought up. Or no, maybe, I did Yeah, it was yeah. Dan. Okay. Yeah. Uh, about, you know, well, how does that work sure. if you buy a suppressor from someone on Gunbroker? Because there are all these regulations. Mm -hmm. So where, where does your can go once you buy it from someone on Gunbroker? You know, it's not really any different than buying a firearm. There's a few more steps to, to go through, and you've got to find an appropriate dealer, what we call an SOT, or some people call a Class 3 dealer. Um, but after that, uh, you know, you'll go on Gunbroker, find one you like, which just looked a little while ago. We've got about five, a little over 5,000 listings right now, including penny auctions. Believe it or not, you can get a can on a penny auction and find yourself a pretty screaming deal. Dave's probably got like a <laughs> hundred of them in his watch uh, list. None, you know? none of his 1890s revolvers have threaded barrels, so we're, we're good there. <laughs> not yet. No. <laughs> oh, oh, you just, you know, man, his, the hair on the back of his neck just stood up. Um, anywhere from a $16,000 Barrett can down to, like I said, I, I think we saw a, a Q Erector right now going for a penny. So uh, once you find your can, you'll basically buy it and... The, the payment will go to that particular dealer. What they'll do is uh, uh, basically a dealer-to-dealer -dealer transfer because just like you would with a firearm, you're going to provide an FFL, and in this case, the SOT, the Special Occupancy Tax. That dealer will send your can to your local person, and from there, it's just like buying it off the shelf. So really, the process is the same. You know, If you bought a gun, you'd send them an FFL. They would transfer the firearm dealer-to-dealer -to, -dealer to your local gun dealer, and then you would finish the transaction there. So... Um, it's a little bit of a headache, but in all honesty, it's not a tremendously burdensome process. It's just a long, drawn-out one. It's it's a death of a thousand paper cuts. You know, you have a little extra paperwork to do. Um, you have to provide a mugshot, provide your fingerprints. Um, thank God you don't have to have the chief law enforcement sign off anymore. You just have yeah. to tell them who they are so they can notify. $200 payment, and then um, patience. You know, once that goes in, you sit, you wait. Eventually, you get the, the magic call from your FFL SOT that, hey, got your stamp in and come pick up your new toy. Um, what I think should be over-the-counter and Black Friday sales and buy one, get ones, um, you know, is a $200 tax and anywhere from a nine-month to a, a year wait these days. So Yeah, a right delayed is a right denied. You know, and that's that's kind of where we're at yeah. with it. You know? What's really fun, though, is flying with suppressors. And and this is, I've made this joke several times, trying to help the TSA agent prove that it's unloaded. It's legally, legally, it's I a firearm. I see yeah. through it. I think it's unloaded. You know? um, the, the best advice there is just don't laugh at them. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just bite your tongue and get through it. Yeah. It's, yeah. <sighs> Bite your tongue and get through it, which I guess is what, what we hope people were not doing on this episode. Uh, we, we I'm not looking forward to that closed captioning one <laughs> popping up now. 
it's gonna go along with yeah. that awful meme, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, thanks guys for for sitting around the table and, and talking about suppressor stuff. Uh, there, there. It's a fascinating topic, and and they're so much fun to shoot. I mean, we we've all shot suppressed, and it's. Oh, it's just so much fun. Once you do it, you never want to go back. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, absolutely. And people become, I probably fit in this category, become evangelists for it very mm-hmm. quickly. Um, you know, we do, we do a lot of industry shooting events, and there there's a couple of CEOs of companies that, man, if, if a brand shows up on a range and the guns don't have cans, he is right in your ear, and he's not, I won't name him, but he is not very subtle about his feeling of you bringing an unsuppressed gun where he has to be. He does not like it. So, mm. um yeah, once you shoot suppressed, you never want to go back. Uh, in yeah. fact, the, the next time you go to the range without one, that first shot, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember these now. Yep, exactly. Well, guys, thanks again for sitting around the table. Thanks to all of you for tuning into the show. We appreciate you being here each and every week with us. If you're not subscribed on your favorite platform, please do that. Leave us a review and some comments. We'd love to hear uh, your thoughts about the suppressor world. Uh, And again, we appreciate you being here. And we will see you next week right here on the next episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. (laughs) 